Um, welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Scanning the QR code located on the front of the worship guide allows you to connect to all online information about our church. The giving of tithes and offerings along with our social media platforms all in one place. Guests, please click on the menu item for a first-time guest. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offering is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or you may mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville. Our, or after the service, you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Um, today, the Goodson Village Group is meeting in the church house, and there's also leadership training tonight. This week, we have corporate prayer on Wednesday. Um, an update with that is we are no longer doing a Zoom call, so if you want to partake in prayer, you have to come to the building. It starts at 7 on Wednesday. Um, on Thursday, the Shipman Men's Group is meeting at Just Love Coffee, and the Good Goodson Men's Group is at the church house. On Friday, um, in the morning, the O'Neill Men's Group is meeting at Bridge Street and Panera. Good morning. Um, I read something. I, I read something um, this week that I thought was really interesting, and it really connects with the song that we were we are about to do. Although I picked the song days before I read this, the gist of what I read was. Um, the article, it was in a devotional talking about time and how we look at time, uh, like, you know, clocks, hours, and events, but God doesn't always, doesn't entirely look at time that way. He looks at time in terms of opportunity and that every day that we have is an opportunity to experience and embrace the goodness of the Lord, embrace his love for our lives. Uh, and that was uh, that's my summary of it. It was it was way better and more eloquent. But it just really made me think because I tend to think about time in terms of tasks and what I need to do and what I'm not doing and what I should be doing and all of that. Um, but that gave me a different perspective to kind of practice thinking about the time that I have is another opportunity today. This moment is another opportunity to be aware of and ask the spirit to help me be aware of how much the Lord loves me and that he has a wonderful plan for my life and, uh, and he's pursuing me and I have all that I need in him. So this song doesn't really need an explanation. We're just going to sing. But think about that uh, as we embrace the love of the Father this morning. He has ransomed his grace. 
right now in here with y'all. We can sing that stuff and it's great and the spirit moves. But when we wake up tomorrow morning, will we believe it? Spirit help us. Spirit help us. If you would, please stand for our call to worship. It's from John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. Please join with me where it says, people, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Let us worship him in spirit and truth. Amen.
morning for his goodness, his kindness, his tender mercies for us. Amen. You may be seated. joy in you. Father, your word says that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we can find mercy and grace in our time of need. Father, help us to cry out to you in our time of need, resting assured that you are there. Father, your word says that this hope we have is an anchor. It's not something fleeting. It anchors our soul to you. It's a hope that's both sure and steadfast. We can rely on that. We can count on that. You will never forsake us. You will never leave us. says that we do have confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies by a new way that is the body of Christ, and that our hearts have been sprinkled clean with the blood of Christ, so we can enter into your presence with confidence. Father, there's so much we could praise you for. identity is not in these things of this world, of our jobs or our, our ministries or whatever it is that we're doing. Our identity is in you. That's where our worth is. Help us to remember that, Father. We are the child of God, forever held, chosen, not forsaken. these things up to your ear. May we hear them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our confession of faith comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, question one, I will ask the question and you can answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. If you're able, please stand for the reading of word of God's word. Uh, the scripture reading today um, is actually from 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 25. Listen for the word of God. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood 
as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. This is the word of God. You may be seated.
Let's just pray. Amen. Father God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for being our God and thank you for choosing us to be your people. Father, even though we don't deserve it and we can't work hard enough to earn it, you still give us grace, this free gift. And it's all because of what you've done. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you, our Father, who loves us and chose to redeem us, have done. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity that we have to gather together as like-minded believers and to dig deeply into your word and to give you the praise and the worship and the honor and the adoration that you and you alone deserve because of what you've done. Father, we're so grateful of this, this wonderful gift that you give. And we're thankful now and forevermore because of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning, Village fam. Good morning, Village fam. Wake up out there now. Come on. Again, my name is Marcus Nobles. I'm the campus pastor for uh, RUF at Alabama A&M. And it is always my pleasure to stand here in this pulpit. I don't take lightly the opportunity to be here and to deliver God's words to God's people. Um, It's truly a blessing and a gift to be able to stand in this place. And I'm thankful for our pastor, Alex Shipman. Um, who has for a long time now been a very good mentor to me, um, uh, uh, who has challenged me well and is a very big part of the reason of how and who I am today. So I'm very thankful to you, brother. Um, And I'm very grateful for this church, the village. Um, Folks, everybody doesn't have a church like this. I'll say that one more time. Everybody doesn't have a church like this. And it's truly a blessing to be in this place. So don't take it for granted, the many, many blessings that God continually gives to a small little place like this, right? Um, And don't take for granted all of the beautiful things that he's done. Amen? Let's dig into the word. Last week, we were looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. This week, we're going to continue and look through verses 17 through 25 and kind of finish up the chapter. Um, in last week's sermon, we were talking about what do we do in a dark world? How do we handle troubling, trying times? And how do we live through this brokenness and fallenness that we see every day? And in 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, Peter gives us some unequivocal, some unequivocal truths in those first few chapters, and then he tells us to look at what we um, change how we think and then change how we do. And he reminds us to think on this, on these things, who God is and whose we are. Amen? He reminds us that we have a living hope and a living risen Savior. That's Jesus and Jesus Christ. And that um, he tells us to remember that our inheritance is stored up for us in heaven. Remember that? And that even if we suffer for a little while here on earth, our faith in Christ gives us joy that's inexpressible to the rest of the world. And then he tells us to change how we think, to prepare our minds and gird up the loins of our minds, be sober-minded in our thinking, being balanced and morally decisive, and then to set our hope on Christ and on Jesus Christ alone. And then towards the end of that first half, he tells us to do some things, to be obedient, and not be conformed to this world, to be holy and look like Christ, that we should look like our Father. And then, in verse 15, to let God into everything. Amen? And I ended that sermon by saying that no one handles darkness better than the creator of light, to let God do what God does, because he's good at it. He's been doing it for a long time, and his track record is perfect. Amen? So now here we are in First Peter verses 17 through 25, and it says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. In this sermon, I like to point out just three primary things. Good three-point sermon. Then I'm going to sit down and we can go home. Amen. What do we have? Point number one. Point number two, how do we get it? And point number three, what do we do with it? What do we have? How did we get it? And what do we do with it? So point number one, what do we have? Church, we have a relationship. Amen? Did you know that? The thing that God gives to us freely, that grace that he gives to us, it's really relationship. One of the biggest points that I think is shown to us in this scripture is that God is relational. Peter's reminder here of this father and child theme in this context, I think, is the most appropriate because it's for the nature of children to want to imitate their parents. And again, like we said in this last sermon, that we should show whose we are. Amen? That if we call ourselves Christian, then we should live our lives in such a way that shows not just who we are, but whose we are, that we belong. Amen? That we have a relationship, this relationship that provides joy that's inexpressible to the rest of the world. Christians should delight in imitating God, both because he's our father and because his moral excellence is inherently beautiful and desirable. Simply put, to be like him is the best way to be. To be like our Father is the best way to be. Verse 17, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Peter here is telling us that we know that we have a Father that we can call on for help. And because we know whose we are, we should also act like it. Amen? We should carry ourselves in such a way that shows who we are. And that's the fear that he's talking about here. We should live our lives knowing that we have membership in God's family. And that membership comes with some great privileges, but it also comes with God's discipline. Amen? Hebrews uh, puts it this way, Hebrews 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? It's interesting. Just yesterday we had a TVC youth outing and we went to uh, Lake Gunnersville, and we had a great time. Thank you very much to the Powells for allowing us to come to your lake house, and thank you so much, Kate and McClure, for planning all of that. It was wonderful. Kids, did you guys have a good time? Yeah? While we were there at the lake, DeMarco and I were having a conversation. And Yes, sir. And in that conversation, this exact scripture came up about how because we love our children so much, that we're not afraid to discipline them, right? And likewise, because we have a relationship with this father who loves us so much, he's not afraid to chastise and discipline us. Amen? Think about it this way. Anybody here ever play sports? Yeah? I played football for a long time. I'm a big fella, right? If you're a six foot one, 300-pound dude in Alabama, you don't get very far without playing football at some point, Right? So I played football for a long time. And one of the things that I always noticed was that the coach was always hardest on the best players. 
right? The coach always had the most discipline and the most to say to the best players. To that five-star recruit, there was so much expected out of them that the coach gave them so much more discipline, right? Whereas we all had that one cousin that just made it on the team, right? Boo-boo Skillet and them just made it on, right? And they weren't very good, but they were there, right? And if they dropped a pass or if, if they missed a play, coach didn't have nothing to say to them. Good job, fella. Come on, sit down, right? But if that five-star recruit were to drop a pass or miss a play, it's going to get rough. Likewise, you are God's five-star recruit. You, his elect exile, the one whom he chose out of the world. You're his star player. Of course he has discipline for you. Of course he chastises us. Not just because of who we are, but because of whose we are. Amen? So yes, membership in God's family does come with these privileges, but it also comes with his discipline. And folks, that's how we know that we have a relationship. That's how we know that we have a relationship. When there's not just benefits, but there's also discipline. Amen? Because God chastises those who he calls as sons. Listen to that again. Those who he calls as sons, whom he has relationship with. One commentary says it this way. Although many dismiss the fear of God as an Old Testament concept, which has no place in the, in the New Covenant, they do so to neglect the many New Testament passages that, um, sorry, they do so to the neglect of many New Testament passages and the impoverishment uh, of their spiritual lives. Fear of God's discipline is a good and proper attitude. It's the sign of a New Testament church growing in maturity and experiencing God's blessing. Moreover, fear of God is connected with growth and holiness. Fear of God is connected to growth and holiness. Whose you are is connected to the relationship that you have. Amen? Tim Keller says it this way, to fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and of his love. That fear that we have is because we're overwhelmed with his greatness and his love. One of the points that I can uh, always repeat to my students at A&M is that we should live our life in such a way that shows whose you are. And I think in every sermon that I've preached, that somehow comes back up. We should live our life in such a way that shows not just who we are, but whose we are that we have a relationship. It's interesting. We talked about this, uh, youth folks, all of, all of, all of our last um, um, uh, um, SEC classes. We were talking through the Ten Commandments, right? We were talking through how the Ten Commandments are these terms and agreements to relationship, right? How many people here have an iPhone? Yeah? When you first turned that iPhone on, do you remember clicking yes to those terms and agreements? Yeah? You didn't really read them, but you clicked yes to them so that you could use your phone, right? We, we, we all did it. We, 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 we've all been there. Likewise, these Ten Commandments are the terms and agreements that God lays out to relationship, right? The first four are, are the terms and agreements to relationship with him, and the last six are terms and agreements to relationship with each other. And it's amazing how all of these commandments, even though on the onset they can feel like burdensome laws, really they all point to the same thing, love. Don't kill, love. Don't steal, love. Honor your father and mother, love. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, love. All of these commandments all point to the same thing, to love. Just like as if God was telling us from the very beginning that all of it points to relationship. So what do we have? 
Point number one, relationship. Point number two, how do we get it? Church, we were ransomed and we were redeemed. Amen? I'm not going to take Alex's amen sign out. Wait, what's that? Church, we were ransomed. We were bought with a price. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Church, verse 18 tells us that we were bought with a price. This is the very foundation of of our faith and, and what we believe, is that God loves us so much that even though we fell away from him, he did everything to fix the broken relationship. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to pay a cost that we could not pay, to ransom us, to redeem us, his elect exiles, the, one, the ones whom he chose. Amen? In the Old Testament Hebrew, that word redeemer, gael, means kinsman redeemer. Think the story of Ruth. Anybody ever read Ruth? Yeah? I think Ruth is the most beautiful love story ever written. Right? And it's about this woman who becomes a widow and um, who is indebted and becomes basically a slave and has uh, no one that can step in for her to pay the cost to buy her out of this situation that she's in. And then in comes Boaz, who does exactly that who's her kinsman redeemer, who redeems her from the bondage and pays the price to set her free. Church, God was willing to pay the cost for you. God was willing to be your kinsman redeemer, kinsman to have relationship with you so that he could redeem you out of the bondage of sin. God was willing to not only have relationship with you, but to pay the price for you. How big is that? How big is that relationship? How much must he love us to pay the cost for us, to redeem us, to buy us out of our bondage, to be our kinsman redeemer? Peter here is telling us that we must conduct our lives with fear of God's discipline in verse 17 because you know that God redeemed us out of a sinful manner of life at a great cost with the precious blood of Jesus. That's verses 18 and 19. Therefore, Peter is implying that God would not be pleased if we casually disregard the ethical purposes of this redemption. Verse 19 echoes what we know from Scripture. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? And church, I think this is the master theme of the Bible. From the beginning... To its end, we see this theme of this lamb. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, Abel's lamb is the perfect offering. Amen? In Genesis 22, the sacrifice of, of Isaac, there's a lamb, there's this ram that's in the bush that saves the life of one person, Isaac. And then in Exodus 12, in the Passover, the lamb's blood that they spread on the door saves the life of an entire family. And then in Leviticus 16, at the Day of Atonement, the priest would make a sacrifice of a lamb that would save the entire nation. And then in Isaiah 53, it talks about this one that is coming, this lamb that is to be led to slaughter, the he that would save those who had at some point come to know him, the elect. That's us. Jesus is that lamb, that perfect sacrifice. Amen? And then in the New Testament, in John 129, Jesus is that lamb of God that coming lamb that will save the entire world. In Acts 8, there's an Ethiopian eunuch that's reading Isaiah 53 and asks Philip if the writer is talking about himself or talking about someone else, this lamb that would save anyone that would come to know him. That lamb is Jesus. And then here in Peter, Peter's lamb that's without spot or blemish, this lamb of redemption, Peter tells us that the only thing that can save is the blood of Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation, there's this enthroned lamb, this lamb that is in charge of all, that's seated on the throne and standing over everything. 
And at the end of Revelation, in Revelation 21 and 22, this eternal lamb that is in control forever, Jesus, this lamb that is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the only thing that could pay the cost to redeem us and to create new relationship with this God who loves us so much, Church, he gives it freely, but it comes with a cost. We know that Jesus' death and resurrection is so precious in God's sight that it should never be taken lightly by us. Amen? Nor should we underestimate its value. Christ's blood alone would pay the the price for our redemption. Jesus is the lamb that was slain, and his blood, and by his blood, he ransomed his people for God from every tribe, and every language, and every people, from every nation. He gives it freely, but it comes with a cost. And church, to Jesus, you're worth it. To Jesus, you are worth it. You are worth the cost of your redemption. In ourselves, we're worthless. But in relationship with this Redeemer, he calls us worthwhile. In ourselves, we're guilty. But in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, he calls us justified. Amen? In ourselves, we're not worthy. But Jesus loves us so that he gave his son. That God, God loves us so that he gave his son, Jesus, so that righteousness could be imputed on us and that we too could be sanctified. It comes with a cost. But God loves us so much that he thinks we're worth it. So where do we put our faith? Where do we put our faith, church? Set your faith fully in this God that loves you so. Set your faith fully in Jesus who paid the price to be your kinsman redeemer set you free from the bondage of your sinfulness. Verse 20 and 21. We're almost done. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Church, our faith and our hope is not in the world, but in a living, risen Savior. Amen? That underscores this relationship that God wants with us. A real, deep, costly, worthwhile relationship. One that came at a high price, but is worth every cent. God is relational. He wants relationship with us. Point number one, how do we get it? God is our redeemer. We were bought with a price. Last point, and we're almost done. This is the shortest one. What do we do with that? What do we do with all of that? Let's read verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God love what do we do with that church we love be obedient to the truth not obedient to the world not obedient to your desires but to the truth For a sincere brotherly love, love one another. From a pure heart, brotherly love, earnest love, sincere love. The love that Jesus shows to each and every one of us, his elect exiles, every single day. Love. John 15, Jesus tells us, this is my commandment. 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen? Folks, this is hard. Right? It's hard to love like that. It's hard to have real brotherly love, real earnest love, real sincere love. In fact, I'd say it's impossible. It's impossible for us to love that way without Jesus. Amen? Without Jesus, brotherly love is not possible. Without Jesus, sincere love is not possible. Without Jesus, earnest love, you can't accomplish it on your own. How can we possibly accomplish that type of love without Christ? We have to remember that we have been born again. Amen? And that we're no longer bound to the guilt and the shame of our former self that can't possibly accomplish this type of brotherly love. We are born again by the imperishable, living, and abiding word of God. Amen? Peter tells us that the living and abiding word of God that will not perish, that will never leave, is what makes us born again. And that we should love each other just like he loves us. Love. Real love. Earnest love. Sincere love. Brotherly love comes from an obedience to the truth and a relationship with the Father who redeemed us. Amen? So church, what do we have? And I'm done. A relationship. God is relational. He wants relationship with you. Israelites exile. How do we get it? We're redeemed. Amen? God is our Redeemer. We were bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And what do we do with the church? We love. We love one another just like Jesus loves us. Verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, the glory, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The flower withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? This is the word, the good news that was preached to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we so humbly come to you once again to say thank you for being our God. Thank you for choosing us out of the world and choosing to still have relationship with us. Even though at times we can make ourselves cast off far from you, you never turn your back on us. You never close the door on us. You never stop reaching to us. In fact, God, you reach us exactly where we are. Even in the depths of our woe, you want relationship with us because you love us so. So much so that you were willing to send your son to die for us and be the sacrifice that could pay the cost for our redemption, to be our kinsman redeemer, to have real, earnest, brotherly love and relationship with us, the ones whom you chose. Not because we're so good, not because we deserve it, not because we can work hard enough to earn it, but simply because you love us enough to give it to us anyway. Father, thank you that you love us so and that you never leave us and that you've sent your son Jesus so that we can place our hope fully, fully in a living, risen this in all things we pray in your son Jesus name. Amen.
Benedict. This is our benediction from 2 Peter verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Go in peace.